Lay your head on my chest and listen to the layers of runes behind the madrasa of Saladin. Hear the houses sliced open in the village of Lifta. Hear the wrecked mill, the lessons and reading on the mosque's ground floor. Hear the balcony lights go out for the very last time. On the heights of Wadi Salib, hear the crowds drag their feet and hear them returning. Hear the bodies as they're thrown. Listen to their breathing on the bed of the Sea of Galilee. Listen like a fish in a lake guarded by an angel. Hear the tales of the villagers, embroidered like kaffias in the poems. Hear the singers growing old. Hear their ageless voices. Hear the women of Nazareth as they cross the meadow. Hear the camel driver who never stops tormenting me. Hear it. And let us together remember. Then let us together forget all that we have heard. Lay your head on my chest. I'm listening to the dirt. I'm listening to the grass as it splits through my skin. We lost our heads in love and have nothing more to lose. Hello and welcome to Words That Burn, the podcast taking a closer look at poetry. This week's poem is Nothing More to Lose by Palestinian poet Najwan Darwish. The poem was translated into English by his longtime collaborator and translator Kareem James Abu Zaid. As I'm sure you understood from the tone of the poem, Nothing More to Lose is a heartbreaking account of what has been lost by the Palestinian people in all senses of the word. Physically, spiritually and culturally. At the time of recording, the people of Palestine have been the target of ethnic cleansing for well over 100 days, since October 7th. This genocidal action has been undertaken by the Israeli government and military. The genocide is relentless and unyielding in its attempts to erase all traces of Palestine and its people. The Israeli government has targeted not only the lives of the Palestinian people, but their culture and art as well. No universities remain in Gaza, and 94 prominent academics have been murdered. There is a concentrated effort being made to erase all traces of Palestinian identity. This is a tried and tested strategy for any colonizing oppressor. As Najwan Darwish himself stated in a recent interview, for any colonial project, the main target is the land, but the culture is also targeted. If you, like myself, are appalled by this and can spare anything to go towards Gazan relief, I've included a link to the IPSC, or Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign, in the description of this episode. The work they do is vital in providing support for Palestine, and any donation is appreciated. Perhaps the true tragedy of this poem is that it was published in 2014, nearly 10 years before the events of October 7th started a chain reaction. It's heartbreaking to think that Darwish's words could almost be a document for what's currently happening in Gaza. Instead, it was originally Darwish's prediction 
of what would occur if Israeli occupation were to continue unchecked. The poet himself has voiced his misery about the relevance of his words today. As he said, I am not happy when I see my poetry used in the war, in this genocide, because I wish this poetry would become invalid. Unfortunately, not only are his words still valid, but they are vital as well. Najwa Darwish was born in Jerusalem in 1978. Throughout his career, he has become known as one of the most important voices in Arabic poetry. It is also important to note that he bears no relation to arguably Palestine's most famous poet, Mahmoud Darwish. Though I have done an episode on his work, which I've linked in the description to this episode. His first book of poetry was published in 2000. Perhaps what sets his collections apart is that they are written over an extended period of time. This poem, Nothing More to Lose, is from a collection sharing its name. The poems of that collection were written between 1998 and 2013, and so is quite an undertaking. When asked about this practice and how he achieves it, Darwish said, Usually I write on paper, and I carry a notebook with me wherever I go. I write poems in it as an everyday practice, like a diary. When I finish the pages of a notebook, I edit it, and it becomes a poetry collection. I realized early in my life that the only thing I care about among my little belongings is my notebook. His poems are all at once objective, but haunting. You will hear me use that descriptor, haunting, over and over again, and hopefully by the end of this analysis, you will understand why. His work often focuses on his homeland of Palestine and the violence so often inflicted against it. In his words are catalogues of places, names, cultural monuments and moments, intertwined with melancholy and vivid language. You might think that entire collections cataloguing things would become repetitive, even in a collection that spans over 14 years. But this is what sets Najwan Darwish apart from most Palestinian poets. Each of his poems is almost completely distinct, and he himself refuses a consistent poetic voice. His translator, Kareem James Abu Zayed, the man who deftly brings Darwish to English, put it best in his afterword to nothing more to lose. He wrote, Readers will quickly discover that there is no typical Darwish poem. As the translator of several different Arab poets and novelists, I have often faced the challenge of finding the right tone, of keeping the language consistent, unified, as it is in the original. With Darwish's work, I've had to suppress this tendency and instead consider each poem as its own singular entity. I am not translating one poet, but many. I have come to realize that this wide range of voices is behind much of Darwish's remarkable success as a poet. No Palestinian has ever written poetry quite like this before. He goes on to explain how truly different Darwish is from other Palestinian poets, primarily in the way in which he resists the nationalistic glorification and deification of Palestine that is so common in much of its resistance writing. As Kareem puts it, nothing escapes Najwan Darwish's relentless critical gaze. Neither dictatorial Arab regimes, nor the corruption of the political ruling class in Palestine, and certainly not the violent-laden discourse of fundamentalist groups. 
It is perhaps this burning need to document Palestine, warts and all, as it were, that has led to Najwan Darwish becoming the country's most incisive voice. Of course, we don't need collaborators and academics to tell us about the quality of his poetry, we just need some of his poetry itself. For ease of analysis, I've split this poem into two sections. The first of which is made up of a mantra of sorts. Lay your head on my chest and listen to the layers of runes behind the madrasa of Saladin. Hear the houses sliced open in the village of Lifta. Hear the wrecked mill, the lessons and reading on the mosque's ground floor. Hear the balcony lights go out for the very last time. On the heights of Wadi Salib, hear the crowds drag their feet and hear them returning. Hear the bodies as they're thrown. Listen to their breathing on the bed of the Sea of Galilee. Listen like a fish in a lake guarded by an angel. Hear the tales of the villagers, embroidered like kafias in the poems. Hear the singers growing old. Hear their ageless voices. Hear the women of Nazareth as they cross the meadow. Hear the camel driver who never stops tormenting me. Hear it. This is a poem of sound, or rather the lack of it in certain places. Darwish employs the perspective of a speaker that exists in several places at once, constantly listening to a cacophony of sounds that share only one common thread conflict and violence. The language of observing sound is constant here. Verbs like hear and listen are used again and again, building a refrain that rings out to the reader. Darwish is asking us to bear witness to what has happened to his country. The first two lines give a little more form to the speaker of the poem. Lay your head on my chest and listen to the layers of runes. It is Palestine itself that is addressing us. There is a clear connection established immediately. The closeness between ourselves and the speaker is solidified by one of the most intimate human actions, listening to a heartbeat. What is notable here, however, is that there isn't one. There is only rune. Palestine is a living, breathing thing in this poem, but at the same time, it is made of stone. Words like chest are not something we often associate with a country or city. Our disembodied speaker fuses the human, the biological, with the ancient and architectural. We join that speaker in their roaming. We walk through several locations in Palestine, each one having suffered in its own way. Behind the madrasa of Saladin, Hear the houses sliced open. In the village of Lifta, hear the wrecked mill, the lessons and reading on the mosque's ground floor. Hear the balcony lights go out for the very last time. The geography that Darwish is invoking is helpfully explained by, by a note section in the back of Nothing More to Lose. The Madrasa of Saladin was a former centre of learning founded by Saladin in Jerusalem. Saladin himself 
is famous for being the conqueror of Jerusalem. Now, it has clearly been destroyed. Darwish adds a visceral quality to his image with the words sliced open, never allowing his reader to forget that it is living, breathing people who are most affected and suffering in this relentless assault. As if to drive that idea home, he moves on to Lifta. The village of Lifta was an Arab village that suffered early on in the Nakba. Its inhabitants were forcibly displaced in 1948. What makes Lifta notable, to quote the collection, is that it is a rare example of a deserted Palestinian village that was not raised by the Israeli authorities. The empty houses are still standing, making it a particularly potent symbol of Palestinian loss. That potent symbol takes on new layers in Darwish's verse. The wrecked mill, once a source of food, harvest and prosperity, lies silent. The lessons and prayers exist in a similar void now. Finally, no one will hear the click of lights going out there again. For each of these things we are asked to listen to silence. For me, this forced recognition of trauma and violence feels almost like a haunting. As I read the poem, I couldn't shake the acute horror of this once teeming place of life made empty. Once more, I feel it's important to note that this poem was written over 10 years ago, but its message remains as poignant today as it was then, if not even more so. It could have been written yesterday. This in itself is a remarkable testament to Darwish's vision and poetry. From there, our speaker moves us to Wadi Salib, another displaced but standing village, literally translated to Valley of the Cross. The poet writes, on the heights of Wadi Salib, hear the crowds drag their feet, and hear them returning, hear the bodies as they're thrown, listen to their breathing on the bed of the Sea of Galilee, listen like fish in a lake guarded by an angel. Darwish once again conjures the sounds of conflict, though not in a way we might immediately recognize. A mass of people are violently ousted from their homes. Their resistance is documented in the dragging of their feet. They do return, but in a horribly macabre sense, as they are dead as they do so. Once more, the imagery is haunting and lingering as bodies are dropped to the bottom of the sea, the Sea of Galilee, which is famously not a sea, but an exceptionally holy site around a lake. Here we are asked to listen like a fish in a lake guarded by an angel. The notion of stillness is reinforced by the mention of protection. It should be safe. The irony, of course, is that it is filled with the dead and the executed, who received no such protection themselves. So far, Darwish's speaker has documented the newfound silence in Palestine, but in the next set of lines, he paints us a picture of a place teeming with life. Hear the tales of the villagers, embroidered like kaffias in the poems. Hear the singers growing old, hear their ageless voices, hear the women of Nazareth as they cross the meadow. Hear the camel driver who never stops tormenting me. There is a good deal of attention paid to the culture of Palestine in these lines. 
the tales of villages and poems and songs of the country. Darwish creates a beautiful refrain around singing here. Hear the singers growing old, hear their ageless voices, hear the women of Nazareth. His repetition of that word, here, is an emphasis on the life and value of this place. Words like ageless remind us of the ancestral ties of Palestinians to this land. He urges us to hear their music and their stories, and in doing so, he makes sure that we see these people as living, breathing beings, not a statistic on a news cycle. There is an even more tranquil image created in as they cross the meadow. These lines are a celebration of all things Palestinian, and it is shattered by the next dense metaphor. Hear the camel driver who never stops tormenting me. Hear it. In the words tormenting me, the speaker reminds us that it is Palestine, and that the sound of conflict is never far away. The camel driver is, of course, the one with the stick who pushes the animal endlessly forward, forcing it to travel even when it doesn't want to. It's not a stretch in interpretation to assume that Israel is the camel driver in this scenario. Darwish refuses to let us turn away from the destruction, as a short line compels us to continue observing. Hear it. These sharp, painful lines take us out of the revelry we were just in and remind us what is actually happening to this place. The picture of life and energy presented to us is no longer real. It's been wiped out. It is just a lingering memory. The final section seems to use this memory to bolster itself and create a sense of community. And let us together remember. Then let us together forget all that we have heard. Lay your head on my chest. I'm listening to the dirt. I'm listening to the grass as it splits through my skin. We lost our heads in love and have nothing more to lose. The inclusive language of the first lines, your head, comes back as the speaker turns from the singular I and me to the collective us. Language changes from words of command to an invitation. Let us. It immediately slows down the pace of the poem. The previous repetition of words and changing of locations made our observations and travelling with the speaker feel rapid. Now we pause. Darwish is asking Palestinians and indeed us, his global readership, to both forget and remember at the same time. Palestinians should remember who they are, no matter how much cultural eradication might be brought against them. At the same time, he hopes they can one day move on from the misery of what they've experienced. Let us forget. There is another reading that is a little darker again, however. He hopes that they can forget the joys they once had, so they might not be tortured by the memory of them. The final lines of the poem mimic the first. Lay your head on my chest. We join with the speaker once more as they explain what they're doing. And we realize the true horror of the situation. I'm listening 
to the dirt. I'm listening to the grass as it splits through my skin. The speaker is a body, another victim of Israeli occupation and oppression. They too are bearing witness, listening to the dirt and grass, because they simply have no other choice. The visceral language of the body makes a comeback in the sinister image, grass splitting our speaker's skin, growing up through them because they've been lying there so long. It is a nod, I think, to how long Palestine has been enduring this level of violence. Final two lines are devastating. We lost our heads in love and have nothing more to lose. Our speaker could be any Palestinian now. As Kareem pointed out earlier, Darwish uses many voices in his poetry. The love they have lost to is the love of their country and their will to fight for it. Unfortunately, they have paid the ultimate price for that and have been murdered in its pursuit. The ultimate price leaves them with nothing more to lose. That final image is a statement by the speaker as Palestine as they survey the wreckage of their cities and villages. There is nothing left. But it is also the recognition of the price paid by those who would do anything to free Palestine. Darwish creates images and directions in his poetry that his readers cannot anticipate, but at the same time cannot forget once they've experienced them. His writing has a much sharper quality than that of many other nationalist poets from Palestine. His imagery is always layered and cutting, waiting to get into the mind of the reader. All at once filled with reverence, but laced with despair. When asked what the purpose of his poetry was, Najwan Darwish replied, I think of writing as a testimony for history. If one day in the future someone reads my poetry, I think or I hope that they will be able to tell who is the colonizer and who are the people of the land. Literature can sometimes reflect this better than any political speech. His testimony for history is more essential now than ever. Nothing more to lose manages to capture the broad breadth of Palestinian identity and persecution, whilst at the same time relaying the absolute devastation of its loss. I've already stated at the time of recording, Palestine has been under assault with the goal of eradication since October 7th. The aim of the Israeli government and military is simple. Erase Palestine from the planet. We might ask ourselves why on earth this has to be their goal. To answer it better than I could, I turned to Arab journalist Omar Suleiman, who wrote, The simple truth is that the word Palestine is deeply damaging to Israel's image on the international stage. The word Palestine carries with it so much universally recognized victimhood and so many stories of oppression, subjugation and genocide that when it is included in the conversation, Israel simply cannot dispute, however desperately it tries to, its crimes. The moral weight of Palestine is so heavy that every time the word is uttered, you can hear the deflating hiss from Israel's PR bubble. No amount of beach resorts and tech unicorns can wipe the permanent stain of Palestinian blood off Israel's hands. 
This is the real truth. The works of poets like Najwan Darwish and other literary figures in Palestine act as documents that witness what has happened to Palestine. Each piece of verse, each written word, is a brick in a structure that remembers a people and a nation. A structure that no amount of shelling or murder can erase. As I stated at the top of this episode, I've included a link to the Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign in the description for this episode. Every donation helps. What did you think of the poem? As always, this is my interpretation and I'd love to hear yours. If you'd like to get in touch with me, there are a few ways to do so. You can reach me directly by email. Wordsthatburnpodcast at gmail.com You can get in touch through the podcast website www.wordsthatburnpodcast.com I'm on Twitter or X at Words That Burn. I'm on Instagram at Words That Burn Podcast and TikTok at Words That Burn Too. If you'd like to read the script for this week's podcast complete with citations and sources, check the Substack link in the description. If you've enjoyed the episode or know someone who might, consider sending it to them directly or leaving me a review wherever you listen. Words That Burn is written and produced by me, Benjamin Colopy. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast once again.